Despite the Government, brought to you by Tam and Buega. This podcast is a window for African entrepreneurs and innovators within Africa and all across the globe to discuss ideas towards advancing the cause of a new vibrant Africa. Find and subscribe to Despite the Government wherever you get your podcast. This is Despite the Government podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hello there, welcome to Despite the Government. On this podcast, we talk to people who are making moves and surviving, and in fact, making innovation despite government restrictions. Today, we are talking to John Mustafa Kutiyote, who is a founder of the Student Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship, called SOLE, based in South Sudan. John Mustafa is a citizen of South Sudan and he has been making moves in different areas of the non-governmental sector in South Sudan. Some of his works include empowerment of women and helping women to claim property rights in that country. Thank you very much, John Mustafa, for joining me on Despite the Government podcast. Thank you for speaking to me. Thank you indeed. Let's begin with um, what's the situation in South Sudan right now, especially the city where you are? How is South Sudan? I would like to start giving some background to what the Student Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship is all about. Uh, this is one of the civil society organizations in South Sudan here that advocate for a free, uh, peaceful and prosperous society here in South Sudan. Uh, this organization was established due to the fact that um, I worked before as a coordinator for Student for Liberty in 2014, where I had the opportunity to attend some trainings and uh, also establish a chapter of Student for Liberty in this university in which I was studying in Nairobi. Uh, when I came back to South Sudan, I decided to establish the same organization, but because of the word liberty, so the government was not able to allow me to register the organization. So they thought it was another political party that is also going to be established here in South Sudan. Um, but after some time and after some deliberations, we decided to change the name to Student Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship, which got a lot of support from the government and also from the private sector. So we established the organization and our sole aim was and is still to, uh, to promote liberty, peace and prosperity in South Sudan. Because we very well know that for the last 21 years, South Sudan had been in war with Sudan. And uh, because of the fact that South Sudan was being marginalized, so we fought. And then in 2011, South Sudan got its independence. But despite the independence and despite the fact that we were fighting for liberty, still there are still things that are happening, like conflict is still going on. People are not at peace and uh, people are not at uh, uh, are not able to produce their own prof- uh, their well-being. So um, generally in South Sudan at the moment, it's uh, relatively peaceful, despite some few uh, skirmishes here and there. Thank you for that breakdown. But I really wanted to know in terms of the cities, how the city is settled, how the environment is built, how many things are happening in South Sudan. How can you describe the general situation? If I come into South Sudan today, what am I likely to see in terms of the environment? What does it look like? And extend that to the 
non-visible things, the freedom index. What does it look like for you to be a journalist in South Sudan or a banker? What's the general aura of the situation in the country? Uh, if you come currently to South Sudan, I think you will, uh, from the physical situation, you will see that the roads, the physical infrastructure is worse. Like you can't travel from one city to the other. Those are the bad roads. Um, also, the issue is also currently in South Sudan. You come to South Sudan, there are issues to do with the uh, network communication. Like if you want to use the Wi-Fi or whatever you want to use for communication, it's difficult to use. Uh, like uh, if you want to use uh, an internet, it's expensive, and there are certain areas where you cannot be able to access them. Um, also, if you are to hold some meetings, uh, it's not free to hold a meeting in South Sudan unless you get a permission from uh, the national security for you to hold a meeting, which might involve some few people, because the situation is not currently favorable. Hello. Hello. Uh, you must first get clearance so that you can hold some meetings here in South Sudan. So those are things that if you come here, you will find. And generally, the city where I live is relatively peaceful, and people are going around doing their own businesses. When you want to do your business, I think it is uh, there are no much restrictions to doing your business. So there are people doing their businesses here where I live, and things are going on normal. But when you come to the physical infrastructures, they are really poorly uh, built. So you mentioned Yambio, and that's the western equatorial state in South Sudan. Uh, what about the rest of the country? How is the country set up? The number of states, is it provincially based? What is the government arrangement? How is it set up? I'm guessing we have governors in each state. Or What's the pattern of governance? Um, here in South Sudan, we have the decentralized type of government, where we have the national government, we have the state government, we have the county government, and uh, the Payam and the Boma government. So in each of those uh, levels of the government, we have, uh, like in the national government, we have the president and the cabinet. Uh, at the state level, we have the governor and the cabinet. Uh, we also have at the county, we have the county commissioner and the, uh, the cabinet, and also the same that goes down up to the Boma, where we have the Boma chief. So that's how the government is arranged in South Sudan here. So each government is... Uh, uh, is independent, and each government reports to the next level. Like if you are in the state, you report directly to the to the national. So that's how the government here is arranged. And also the situation that I have mentioned here is in Yambia is the same situation that is everywhere in South Sudan. Where if you travel across South Sudan, you will find the same things: roads are bad, poor electricity, no running water, poor education, and also coupled with the uh, expensive uh, communication system. Like if you want to communicate. The internet con consumption and also uh, the airtime consumption is very high, and also the network is also very poor, as we can experience from our discussion today. So these are mm. things that are very general here in South Sudan. So South Sudan is a relatively young country. I'm guessing 10 years or less. Um, uh, where do all these problems come from? Is it problems that the country took away from Sudan after the war, or what are the basis for these problems? Is it natural to have these problems as a young nation, especially young African country? Uh, what, what's the source of this problem? Is there an active uh, move or active campaign being done to fix these problems at the lowest levels? Um, what I would say is uh, these things that are happening are deliberate uh, because one is uh, you are fighting for liberty 
we were fighting for prosperity and we were fighting against marginalization. But after getting independence, there is no liberty. People are not free to do whatever they want to do. Uh, there is no peace currently. Those are things that are contributing to the fact that uh, the roads are bad and all those other bad things are happening. So if people were to be free to do their own business, and if people were given the chance um, to take care of their lives, I think those things would not happen. But because um, people in authority use some of their resources for their own personal benefits, like you would hear the common saying in South Sudan that we fought in the, in the war, so it is time for us now to eat. That means at the moment, people are basically focusing on what to get rather than what to give to the community members. So that's what is happening. And because, and also political conflict, because uh, the, the national resources for their own benefit. So because of this, there are, you can find that there are political uh, problems, uh, ethnic fightings here and there, because people have not uh, gotten what they really fought for. So this is what is happening. And most, most of the leaders are not focusing on building the nation. Rather, they are focusing on this, solving this conflict. Because whenever there is a conflict in a, in a country, most of the resources are being diverted to handling those conflicts. Uh, th- that's why most of these resources are not using in the right way. And just as I said, if the country, if the people are not free to do whatever they want to do, definitely what will happen is that uh, there will be problem happening. Basically, that's what is contributing to the fact that uh, things are not going the right way as they should have been done. I'd like to get to some, you know, critical questions. And 2011, South Sudan got independence from um, Sudan, and that was after a long war. I need you to, like, help me understand or give me give me and my audience a background on the war, the situation of the war. I'm hearing 21 years war. Is this 21 years before 2011, or what was the situation with the Sudan and South Sudanese war? Yeah, the 21 years of civil war was between South Sudan and Sudan before the 2011. So the major, majorly the causes was because of uh, marginalization. South Sudan was marginalized by the northern Sudan. So they were not given the full right to exercise. And also most of the resources from the South were being diverted to, to North, which developed northern Sudan rather than developing South Sudan. And there was also the issue of a religious issue where, uh, as you might know, Sudan is basically Arab-dominated. And it's an Islamic-dominated uh, uh, part of Sudan, while South Sudan is Christian-based. So what happened also was uh, the northern Sudan wanted to impose Islam Islam in, on South Sudanese, so they were against this, and that's why they, they raised up and fought against the government of Sudan. So after they fought for the last 21 years, so they threw, in their, threw uh, a referendum, so South Sudan voted for a separation, and it became a country of its own in 2011. And then that's when South Sudan became a nation, and it has just been like uh, 10 years old now. So all through 21 years of war, I'm guessing a lot was lost in terms of lives and property. Um, what was the system of government while South Sudan was under Sudan? Was there chaos for most of the time, or there was some kind of government that was aligned with the Sudanese government in South Sudan? Actually, when we talk of Sudan those days, I was still very young and I didn't know much about what was happening during those days. So, and the stories that I'm getting from my, that I got from my parents during those days in South Sudan, system that are to the government in, in Northern. So that means they would rule Sudan who, who advocates for the 
for uh, for the policies that are fa- that is favoring Sudan. So basically, South Sudan was stable during those days. Interesting. So there was an interview you granted to Liberty Spark where you mentioned that there were other avenues to avoid wars because war is expensive, it takes lives and all of that. And you said, for instance, that international advocacy uh, courts could have been a way to avoid wars. I mean, and you always advocate against war. What was your experience during the South Sudan War? In some of the things that you can remember as, as that experience. During the, the, the war that was happening in South Sudan between Sudan and South Sudan, it was uh, a bad experience for uh, being able to stay stable in one place. I was very young. When we were gathered to the front line, I came in and said, it's very small, very young, because I thought I was going to the front line, I would not come back, I was going to die. So it was very, very, very difficult for me. And also, I had a who was conscripted, who was taken into the army, and he went to the front line, and he died there, and we didn't know how he was buried. Those are horrible experiences. And uh, my condolences again, I mean, this, uh, this, of course, was a long time ago, but still... Uh, the pain is still always there. And sadly, uh, what's, what should have been the result of the war, which is the birthing of a new nation that is expected to move forward, still is still being held back by corruption and all of that. You talked about leaders who now see the country or see their positions as a reward for the war they fought. Um, could South Sudan have survived even being a part of Sudan? Maybe the war was not necessary at the end of the day if eventually we are not seeing the progress we want to see and using the resources for the people and the generality of the people would you say that it was wrong for south sudan to have started a war against sudan you know the previous years before there were several attempts that were the situation uh during sudan time it was being ruled by uh, egyptian regime so during those days there was an attempt to make sudan a country and that would see the, the citizens, both from the North and South Sudan, as one people, and also a country that is one that would develop both sides. Uh, that attempt by the Anglo-Egyptian regime failed. They were not able to solve the situation, because even during that time, Sudan was using South Sudan for its slaves. Um, they would come to South Sudan and get the slaves from South Sudan and then transport them. Uh, tell me about the Students' Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship. That's S-O-L-E. Um, you were talking about the fact that sometimes the government would not let you move, move ahead if you want to register uh, an entity or an NGO with the word liberty. Uh, how did you come about or how did you and other people come about the Students' Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship in South Sudan? I'm so glad to talk about the Students' Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship which is currently based in South Sudan, that's particularly in Yami, Western Equatorial State. Uh, this organization was established uh, when I came back from my studies in Nairobi, when I had the chance to attend the first East African Regional Liberty Forum. And during that uh, forum, I had the opportunity to listen to great speakers who spoke about uh, liberal ideas, and I felt that's what we really need in South Sudan in order to promote peace and prosperity. So I also had the opportunity to get access to some of the books, liberal books that I had to read and uh, uh, get a deep understanding of the idea. So later on, I applied for Student for Liberty Campus Coordinator, which I established the chapter in my university for one year. Then I came back to South Sudan.
Uh, when I came back, I decided to establish the chapter for Students for Liberty. But as often, uh, the word liberty sounded like a political uh, philosophy for our leaders in South Sudan here. So I was uh, not allowed to open the chapter here in South Sudan. But later on, I decided to change to Student Organization for Liberty, which got a lot for Sudan and uh, uh, I was allowed to register and establish the organization. But despite the fact that the name sounds different, but we still have the same philosophy of promoting free market, limited government, uh, free trade, and the free market, those ideas. So that's how I, this organization started up here in South Sudan. So we have been operating for the last uh, three to four years now. Uh, why do you think the government does not really like the word liberty? Are you saying that if anybody wants to start a political party, maybe with or without liberty in, in Sudan, are you saying that might be hard for the person or what's the government's handling of situations where people want to create associations like yours? Um, you know, in South Sudan, we have just come out from war and we are just 10 years old. And, you know, the name of the ruling party is Sudanese People Liberation Movement. So Liberation Movement had the same philosophy of uh, taking South Sudanese out of uh, marginalization where, uh, and create a country where there is uh, issues to do with the liberty, issues to do with prosperity, and there is peace. And that people from of South Sudan should be independent from the oppression from Sudan. So whenever they hear the word liberty or liberal, so they think this is the same idea that they promoted, which someone is coming at a political party. So if it is a political party, an environmental organization, uh, so you have to regard that as the political party, which was not the aim of this organization. Uh, now let's talk about um, the students that you work with. I have seen some pictures on your website, seeing students being part of what you, what you teach them and all of that. How has it been in the last four years working with students? And in what specific areas are the students learning uh, to be a part of the society and to help people achieve freedom? We, for the last four years, have been working with mainly students, uh, with also other uh, people like the youth who are out of school. But our major focus has been on students because we know as a young person, if you give a young person a fresh idea, so this person will grow up and become a better citizen in the future. Because we, as it's normal says that you can't bend an old stick. So the old stick, if you want to bend it, it will break. That's why we have uh, focused on the student and young people at large so that we give them the liberal ideas such that these ideas uh, can promote human flourishing and economic development. So major students are very interested in these uh, ideas and they have really taken it so seriously because they believe as we do that these are ideas that can bring prosperity, that can bring peace in South Sudan. So these are the ideas that these liberal ideas have been taken so seriously and there are new ideas here in South Sudan. Like if you see most of these uh, civil society organizations that are operating in South Sudan, very few of them promote these ideas to do with development, forgetting that liberty. So development, without liberty, there's no peace. So these are things that we really think uh, the students should be grounded in this idea such that we can realize a free and prosperous South Sudan. All right, so um, can we talk about entrepreneurship? Because you say that one of the things that you do in the organization is that you encourage and support developmental activities because you believe that entrepreneurship is the background of every development. 
what is the general state of entrepreneurship and building private businesses in South Sudan? And how is your organization trying to reshape things? Um, thank you for this uh, question. To begin with, in 2019, the government of South Sudan had established a program which is called the Resilience Program, the Recovery and the Resilience Program, whereby uh, the government is encouraging other non-governmental organizations to invest much in, in, in entrepreneurship because they know that after the, the years of conflict here in South Sudan, what South Sudan needs most is, uh, is development. And there's no development without the private sector. So this is an idea or this is a program that the government in South Sudan is promoting. And we are just at the center of this program because... Uh, this is one of the core activities that we really believe in because it's known that the government cannot provide services or cannot provide employment to everyone. So if the government cannot provide employment to everyone, so we have to empower the young people so that they can be able to stand by themselves and create their own jobs. Because one of the, the reasons why we had conflict in South Sudan was, uh, you know, the young people were very poor and they did not have any means of livelihood. So if someone does not have any means of livelihood and you tell him to do something bad, this person will definitely engage in doing something bad because he or she wants to get what she doesn't have. So as such, we have taken entrepreneurship as a very serious program in our program. And for the last one year, we got support from uh, um, a friend in the U.S. under Sensible School. So Sensible School also promotes these ideas of entrepreneurship. So we have partnered with Sensible School and also the University of Regent, where we are providing entrepreneurship training to young people who have dropped out from the school and those also who have finished high school or even the university and they have the passion for, for, for business. So we train them for, one, for two months. And after the training for two months, we give them opportunity to come up with a business idea. So these business ideas, we scrutinize them and um, uh, furnish them so that they become uh, a tool for them to source uh, some income or some funding. So after that, then we send them to the market. So we train them in entrepreneurship and allow them to do their business plan, which we sometimes, after they do it, we take them to the local radio station and ask them to pitch it to the public so that someone somewhere in the public can maybe uh, sponsor this uh, this opportunity or this business idea. And also at the end of the day, we also graduate them where we bring in, yeah, also, yeah, the support. So also when we whenever the first cohort finishes the program, we do a graduation where we invite potential uh, uh, funders uh, who can help this program. So for the last one year, we have been able to train uh, 80 students. And this, out of these 80 students, uh, uh, 10 of them have gotten uh, some funding and they have established their businesses. And the businesses are very are running up. And we have... Um, uh, a very good testimony from them because among them, we have two ladies who are single mothers and they got into this program and they managed to win a funding for this project, for their projects. And so they are now currently running their own business and they are able to feed their children and their family and their life is improving. So this is what we are doing at the moment and the impact that we have uh, on the community where we live in. So what is the bigger picture? What does the bigger picture look like for you and, you know, the students and the organization Solace, uh, that's Students' Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship in South Sudan? What's the bigger picture beyond where you are? Uh, these, these students who are getting support, who are getting education, 
which is a good start. Very interesting. I always say this that I love beautiful beginnings. I love beginnings in general because it signifies the beginning of something that will transform into something amazing in the future. But what's the big picture for you? What's the vision? What do you see in the next five, ten years regarding Solas and regarding business in South Sudan? Our biggest picture that we are aiming to achieve is we in the nearest future we want to expand this program. And how do we expand it? What we want to do is uh, we want to establish a business school in which entrepreneurship will be a major part of it. So we want to establish a business school where these students who go through this school will have the opportunity to come up with a business idea and uh, a school that will ignite their, uh, their business potential. So at the end of the day, when they come out from this school, they are able to establish their own business. Even if they don't get any funding from anyone, they can be able to raise their own funding through other means of, uh, of getting the funding. Uh, so we look forward to seeing that if we train major, m- many people in entrepreneurship, we will see that there will be economic development and also individual development. So those individuals will be able to establish their own businesses and be able to take care of themselves uh, as well. So we look forward to seeing that through this program, South Sudan will be a prosperous country, a peaceful country where everyone has the opportunity uh, to engage in business. And I look forward to that as well. So let's go to the community and to the larger society now. Uh, and that's talking about the businesses that are currently helping with solutions. I believe there are telecommunications businesses that are privately owned. I believe that there are food businesses, groceries, or maybe transportation that are privately owned. What is the business environment like in South Sudan today, especially where you are, which I believe is a representation of uh, what's going on in other parts of the country? How easy is it to run businesses and how are the businesses, private enterprises, how are they faring today in South Sudan? Um, thank you for asking this question. Uh, currently in South Sudan, I think business is booming and it's one of the drivers of the economy uh, because uh, as you can remember, in July, the government of South Sudan and the government of Kenya agreed to waive the visas. That is, uh, you can enter Kenya as well as South Sudan without a visa. And good enough also this week, uh, the, the, the Ugandan government agreed to uh, provide a free visa entry uh, to, to Uganda and also South Sudanese to enter Uganda for free. I think this is uh, a boost to South Sudanese economy and as well as to South Sudanese business. Uh, at the moment, uh, business is doing very well in South Sudan. Um, um, in terms of uh, to start a business, it's not easy. The registration process is not as difficult as it is in some other parts of the country uh, because we have a, de- a decentralized kind of the government where if you want uh, to start your business in one of the states, so you have to register your business in the state. And if you want to become a national uh, business operator, so you can also register in the state as well as at the national level. So starting a business is not as difficult as it is. Um, however, the cost of starting the business is what is a little bit higher uh, because you have to uh, uh, to pay the government for taxes and also for the paperwork. So all this you have to pay for, for it to start your own business here in South Sudan. And also one of the challenges that is facing business is also the transportation. Uh, like the roads, the road networks are very bad. So transporting goods from one area to the other one is difficult, coupled with insecurity along the roads. So these are things that are hindering the business. However, when you are currently in South Sudan with your business, with your goods, so I think they are faring on well because there are high demands for goods and services here in South Sudan. So that's regarding the business uh, environment here in South Sudan.
So, uh, what then can we say are the most uh, needing areas where private enterprise might need to come in and help? Because obviously, from what you said earlier, uh, you said you know, the roads are bad and health. But what specific area do you think the private sector is mostly needed? I think the kind of business that is currently needed in South Sudan is um, uh, manufacturing business. Like um, here, we depend on imported goods. So we don't manufacture or produce goods locally. So if there are companies that can be able to produce goods locally, these are things that are very much needed. Like if you like in agriculture, so there is a potential for agriculture here in South Sudan because the land here is still very virgin. It has never been exploited using mechanical uh, process. So agriculture is one of the areas that is needed so much. And also communication, uh, telecommunication like the internet uh, and the likes. So these are things that are very much needed. And also things to do with uh, the transportation industry, uh, which is also uh, what is, is much needed. And also things to do with the physical infrastructure because Business is not only in goods and service goods only, but you can also invest in construction of the roads, the road networks in South Sudan here. So these are things that uh, have the potentials of uh, uh, doing well when you talk of businesses. Now, there was an article on the website of um, Student Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship, and it was talking about the education system in, uh, in South Sudan. In the last 10 years, uh, in the life of the country called South Sudan, uh, how would you say the education sector has fared, and how would you describe it? What do you think needs to be done to make it better in terms of educating the young people, whether in, 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 the, in the light of entrepreneurship or general child upbringing that would help them create giants that would build a, a good future for South Sudan? What do you think education system needs right now? Um, of course, the education system here to begin with in South Sudan here, like the, the primary school up to the high level, uh, high, high, high classes or the, the secondary school level. These are levels that uh, are doing very well in South Sudan here. So you have the teachers and you have schools that are as many as possible for students to attend. However, the only challenge is only in the high, in the, in the tertiary school, tertiary institutions like the universities. If you come to South Sudan here, I think there are very, very few universities. Like currently we have only five public universities in South Sudan. And we have uh, less than five or less than four uh, private universities that are registered and are operating on well. Um, so these universities, some of them are poorly uh, equipped in terms of the education of the scholastic materials like the textbooks if you want uh, good libraries so they are difficult to get some of these universities equipped with the libraries especially with essential books that are able to uh, to help the student to get their uh, knowledge in it so these are things that are hindering uh, higher education here in south sudan however just like in many other african countries we majorly based on theoretical uh, approaches in our education. We don't bring the real life to the classroom. So uh, that's why I think the, the education system needs to be changed, not only in South Sudan, but also worldwide, where we, we majorly focus on uh, um, theoretical things rather than the, the life uh, uh, things that are happening. So we have to uh, shift the attention into the 
things that students, when they learn in the school and they come out of the school, they are able to implement and make it a real life uh, opportunity when they come out of the school. One of our contribution to these issues of uh, lack of uh, scholastic materials in the in the university, so we have started a program which is the the Liberty Library, where we have established a library, and we are currently equipping it with books so that students can have access to come and read these books for free. And also, we want to establish what we call uh, the reading clubs. So these books we have uh, so far been receiving some donations of the books uh, and in our library we have currently over 200 textbooks and the students are coming to our library to read these books and because we believe if these, they are not having the chance to get these books in their universities where they are they are studying so they can come to our office and have the chance to read these books for free and if you be, want to borrow the books and go with it home you can become a member you register as a member then you can have the access to borrow the book and take it home and do your own study using it so this is the contribution that you soul is doing uh, to the education system here in south sudan this is something that i've always wanted to do in my community and i hope um, this will be an inspiration for me going forward and i commend you on the work you're doing so uh, if we're living in the education sector right now let's just talk about uh the bigger picture in the other places in, in, in south sudan what you are doing is uh, selfless work private person trying to build a community by building the students and building the people do you see other organizations like yours that are helping in other areas uh non-governmental organizations who are doing the same thing do you get to interact with them what's the situation like with the ngo community in south sudan um, just like what I said, there are different organizations that are also trying to help using their own different areas of uh, operation. So different organizations have their different visions and their different approaches to those areas. Uh, here we have uh, some organizations that are also contributing to the well-being of the, of the nation in different areas in the humanitarian sector. They are contributing uh, so much because uh, they want to build the nation. So, yes, we have... Uh, some had some discussions with some other organizations that are also doing similar work but quite different from what we are doing but though they are also helping in the other angles in terms of the humanitarian needs uh, of the population so yes there are people who are doing that as well all right so now we can talk about um, your competition where in 2019 the sharp tank think tank uh, atlas competition where you won uh, for the work that you do in trying to help women claim their rights in South Sudan. Can you tell us a bit about how your application for that competition, what's your experience like? Given the fact that that was an idea that came from a real life, when we won this award and we came back to South Sudan and we introduced the program, the program was highly welcomed. Very many people liked the program. And we started training women in the, on their rights to own private property. And also we tried to minimize the cultural barriers that hinder women from owning property. This idea was really very much welcome. And whenever we had to call for participants to come and attend, and people would come in numbers and attend it. And we did that for one, for six months. And then the, the funding that we got, uh, got uh, finished and though people really wanted this program to go to all parts of South Sudan because that was one of the programs that really had a great impact on people and people wanted it to go all over South Sudan so that people can transform. However, because of the limited funding, we were not able to, uh, to reach other parts of South Sudan, but the few women that we trained 
we have realized a great impact on their life. First, even during the training, many, many women gave us a lot of testimonies, very touching testimonies regarding how they have been deprived from their right to own property. And they really uh, openly told us that this is really an eye-opener for them. And then they openly told us that they will continue advocating for their right to own property. So those women that we trained, sincerely speaking, some of them were able to recover their property back that their husbands took from them. Uh, the only I don't have the statistics currently. These women, some of them were able to recover their property and have a share in their property. Uh, some of these women, after getting their property, some of them have started uh, their own businesses, like farming. Others are now doing farming on those lands that they had uh, acquired. Some of them have started businesses, small businesses like restaurants, like juice making, and they are doing amazing work now because of what we we, we taught them. Um, so they are really uh, trying to come out of this program. Really helped them so much that they were able to come out of the of the bondage of uh, not getting the right to own their property. So this program, uh, though it was much uh, needed, though but we didn't have the strength or we didn't have the resources to expand this program to other parts of the South Sudan, and also we didn't get any further funding. However, if we still have the opportunity to get more funding, we will still continue to expand this program to other parts of South Sudan. But currently what we are planning to do is, uh, during the training we realized that uh, uh, the judiciary system or the leadership system, both at the traditional leaders and also people in the authority, in the government, they had a lack of knowledge in this area. So these stakeholders also needed to be trained because even if you, tell, you train the woman and she knows her right, if there's no one in the authority who can enforce the law, so it becomes now a problem. So this is one area that we are trying to to look into where we need to bring in the stakeholders uh, who are involved in the right of the woman to own property so that they can be able to understand it as well and, uh, and, and enforce the, 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 the laws that protect the right of women to own property here in South Sudan. Now, um, I wanted to know, on what basis did the husbands have a reason to take their wife's property? Is it cultural? Is it government-related? Is it, is it the law or policy-related? What's the general situation about property ownership? Whether for women, whether for men, I need you to address the two-headed question. The first is, why was it that before your innovation, before your um, your application for that think tank program, why was it possible for some women not to have access to their own properties? And secondly, what's the general um, design of property rights in South Sudan? Can people own property by birth or who owns property? How can anyone get access to what should belong to theirs, to them? The why part of it is uh, it's part Partly because of the culture here in South Sudan. You know, the culture here in South Sudan does not give the woman the right to own property because culture believes that a woman is always being married off. Like if you have a daughter and you give her the right to own maybe one of your buildings, when she grows up and gets married, she will be married to a foreigner or to a stranger, to someone else who is not part of the family. And when she is married off, definitely that property loses its ownership. So she no longer becomes now the owner of it because if she gets married and she owns this property, so that means this property will go to the family of the of the husband. So as such, 
parents do not allow their daughters to own property because at the end of the day, they know this property will go to the husband, uh, to the husband. So culturally, that's what is being done in South Sudan. So people look at the woman as a weak uh, human being who doesn't have the full right to own this property because once she gets married, she will be married off and she will not become, she will not continue to be part of the family. So that's why they prefer the male child to own the property because the male child is part of the family forever. He will marry a woman, he will marry a wife, and the wife will come to the house of the boy, of the, of the, of the, of the son. So that's why they're saying it's not right for the woman to own the property, rather it's right for the boy child to own the property. So this is basically cultural. Culturally, they are not allowed to own the property simply because of this ideology. Um, secondly, in terms of the legislation or the, the laws of South Sudan, it doesn't prohibit a woman from owning the property. The law of South Sudan allows the woman to own property if you go to the constitution of the South, if you go to the human right, uh, all these laws still allow. But though it's there on purpose, but according to the culture, they are not allowed to own the property. So this is what is happening in South Sudan at the moment. Good to know that. Um, so let's talk about South Sudan and the relationship with other countries. Uh, the much that you can talk about regarding what we can call South Sudanese diplomacy. Uh, how do you see the relationship between South Sudan? This is not so related to your work, but i just like to get the perspective. Uh, the relationship between South Sudan and Sudan, as well as other countries in Central Africa, you know, within your neighborhood, how does South Sudan relate to those countries in the light of development, in the light of advancement to make things better? Just like human beings, where we are always dependent on one another, South Sudan is also dependent on the neighboring countries and the world at large. So if you look at the relationship with, of South Sudan with other neighboring countries that I am so much aware of, it's not bad. Like, if you take the example of Sudan, definitely South Sudan came out from Sudan and they still maintain cordial. Um, at the moment, you can see that South Sudanese are able to enter Sudan without so much restriction. So businesses is also booming at the border of Sudan and South Sudan. So South Sudanese can enter Sudan and Sudanese can enter South Sudan uh, very easily. And the businesses are also booming between the two countries. So you can see also that the refinery of the oil or the petroleum in South Sudan is in, in Port Sudan. That's in Sudan. So basically the relationship between Sudan and South Sudan is good. Uh, coming up to the East African part of the country, it's also a good relationship. That's why you can see Kenya and Uganda are doing a free entry. Because for most of those Ethiopians have good relationship with South Sudan and they are it's not a problem as a foreigner from these neighboring countries. You come to South Sudan, you'll just be treated any other person. And businesses are uh, booming up between these two countries. And South, South Sudan is learning a lot from this. The economy is already developed and people are business oriented or development oriented. As such, when they come to South Sudan, just likewise like the Congo, so there are constant movement of people between these countries. Um, let's talk about your vision of, of South Sudan. I mean, you know the country, you have been there for a while, for, for the longest time, I should say. Uh, you have a history with the country, you are putting in a lot of energy to build community, 
to see that advancement really comes to, to the people. What is your vision for, for, I think we have talked about the big picture before now, but generally, where do you want to see the country go? How, how much, uh, what, what's your vision of, of South Sudan? What, what would you like to see that would make you happy and fulfilled? That's a very good question. Um, there's no any other country that someone will be proud of other than his and that's why I really wish South Sudan all the best. Uh, my vision or my belief is that South Sudan will continue to emerge as one of the best countries in Africa and also in the world. Development. I want to see South Sudan uh, develop and move forward with life. So we want to see that Sudan does not remain backward, but we want to then look at it as an exemplary uh, country um, uh, to learn from. Just before we wrap up, um, speaking of the idea of limited government, which is something that you have mentioned on the podcast today, uh, how is that going? Is, is that something that we are going to see a lot about regarding South Sudan in the very near future? How is that going? When we talk about limited governments, what specific ideas do you think should be introduced maybe in the later future uh, for South Sudan to really advance better so that there will be more freedom for people? I think this is one of the areas we really need. We have a lot of work to do in. We need to work hard to have a limited government. Uh, it's very interesting here in South Sudan here where we have, uh, just to give you a, a, an, over, an overview of what is happening here. Currently, we have five pres- vice presidents and plus a, a president. So we have five vice presidents. So 50 of the pilot. Isn't that so big? This is one of the tasks that us, and it's very, very difficult in the size of our organization. So we want to make sure that a small government that provides and which is offers better service. This is the area that we have a lot of work to do here in South Sudan because over 550 members of parliament and we have five president, very huge government and we wanted to make sure that we educate the government on the need of having a, rather than having such a big government do all the resources of the nation. That's interesting. Just before we go, I'd like to talk on a lighter note about tourism and music. Uh, I don't really know much about South Sudanese music. I'm a very musical person. I like a lot of music. But what can you tell me about the music out there and tourism? If I want to visit, when people want to visit, what's the environment like? What should I look forward to? In terms of tourism, this is what is this is one of the we have various tourist attraction sites. These uh, devolve. people have not really invested. If you come to South Sudan, I think the tourism sector is the one that is very that is aligned. Um, the tourism sector is uh, is not so much being promoted, despite the fact that we have uh, several uh, tourist attraction sites here in South Sudan. All right, John, this is where we wrap up. I truly, truly appreciate your time with us. This has been my chat with John Mustafa Kutiyote, uh, who is founder of Students for Liberty and Entrepreneurship, Students Organization for Liberty and Entrepreneurship in South Sudan. We're signing off here for DCG Podcast. We'll see you next time. Please share with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating. Uh, we'll see you next time.